I'm Becky. I'm Nicole. And this is the Twisted Sister It's podcast. And today we are doing our monthly movie episode. Also, happy Black History Month. We will get into the movie here in a little bit. I guess we should start with what we're drinking. Uh, well, it's a Tuesday night uh, and I have to work in the morning. So I am drinking water. I know. We're shocked. <laughs> yeah. I may have accidentally finished a bottle of wine uh, on a school night last week and I still feel like I'm recovering from that. Oh, yeah. 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 That was like five days ago. <laughs> and oh, I've had three oof. days off. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Getting old is really hard. Yeah. And it's still January when we're recording this, so I am still not drinking. Um, but I, and also it's a Tuesday night and I, like, I've had a a full day today, so I just am still drinking what I was drinking at dinner, and that is a Zevia ginger ale. Delicious. So, yes. I like it. We gotta keep our minds fresh to talk about movies. Yeah, definitely. When I can drink again, I think my first drink will be gin. Like some gin something because yeah, I kind of miss gin. I did I tell you about the uh super bougie gin that I got from our uh CEO of our company for Christmas because he was my secret Santa? No, I don't think you did. Okay, so I finally cracked the bottle open the other day and took a sniff and a taste because mm-hmm. I have this thing with with expensive alcohol that you you want to like savor it and like use it for special occasions and I'm trying to be better about you know Tuesday is a special occasion Mm -hmm. like using your good china right which yeah is packed in a box in our storage unit I think (laughs) we don't have any of that but I digress (laughs) Uh, the only reason we do is my husband's grandmother had been my husband grew up with not a lot of money Mm -hmm. and he picked out this china pattern when he was like seven or eight and she knew that like when it came time for him to get married she wouldn't be able to buy something big so Mm -hmm. she had slowly been buying pieces to make a complete set over the course of his childhood that is the only reason we have china yeah oh nice uh our everyday plates are from dollar tree yeah our everyday plates are from a moving sale by a friend of mine who was an interior decorator Ooh, fancy so they're just they're white they're just like these white but they're like nice they're nice plates but they're just white um now <laughs> it, i got a set so like i think it's somewhere around like six or eight of each piece and there's the big dinner plates then there are the like the smaller but still not like not the saucer size but like the, the salad, plates. Lunch plate. salad, salad plate. plates okay. okay the salad plates and then there are I guess soup bowls and then there's the smaller kind of squat bowls that I still use for soup anyway and <laughs> we barely use the dinner plates because they are, don't fit in the dishwasher oh so they're too big for that our is dishwasher. impressively large they are large we use them for serving plates because <laughs> I'm like I don't think those would fit in our cabinets Because like our normal size dinner plates are like Mm -hmm. pushing it in our cabinets. So I have open shelving. Um, uh, Some, not all of it is, but where just a regular dish jar is open. So it has no doors so they can stick out a little bit if they need to. I have been toying with that idea because the, uh, 
we we have too much of one specific item that is my fault, uh, but I am not willing to call my coffee cup collection. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I know what it is. I, I refuse to call my coffee cup collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they tend to stick out and we're, we have our, our coffee cups on one side and our plates and bowls on the other. I've been uh-huh. touring what's taking the, the doors off. Maybe someday. Yeah. So there's that. And then, so you can tell that they are nice or you know like at least middle of the road nice not like super amazing plates because they are it's really the bowls that do this most but they're not they don't stack nice perfectly Mm. they're like they've got this like kind of wavy design so they like kind of stack crooked and it drives bruce mad (laughs) our bowls have a like a uh ribbed texture on the outside and they tend to all kind of lean a little bit yeah Yeah. also they're from dollar tree so not one of them is uniform in size oh yeah yeah but you know what they look like fiesta wear from a distance and that's all i care about yeah yeah my entire service cost us like 28 (laughs) dollars nice yeah yeah so go dollar tree yeah so i don't know how oh every yeah every day is a, and a holiday. okay yeah a so occasion. i was like where did that come from so he bought me this south african gin uh yeah it's called cruxland finally looked it up it's like 50 bucks a bottle but the smell when you open it is amazing it has mm. um roy hints of rooibos tea so it has kind of this Mm -hmm. golden color and it has that kind of earthy herbal scent that rooibos tea has yeah uh truffles cardamom oh now i can't remember what else it is but like you can definitely tell the rooibos and the cardamom Mm -hmm. and it is it is one of those gins that you can easily just sit down and sip wow yeah and there are not a lot of domestic gins that that you you can can do that with there's really not a lot of import gins I feel you can do that with either because <laughs> this is it's such a complex flavor that it already tastes like a mixed drink yeah yeah and now I'm thinking to myself do I now have to spend $50 a bottle on myself am I going to get spoiled right probably not I'll go back. well to be fair I spend almost that anyway when I buy local stuff which is what mm-hmm. I prefer to buy so I'll probably still do it <laughs> I I wish Oklahoma had better option like local like we have good local beer options i i also wish we had better local wine options but you know our climate's kind of rough here yeah see <laughs> the western slope of colorado has some of the best wines if i get my act together i will try to put a box of uh, colorado wine and spirit together for you and bruce for breaking the fast of your dry january right yeah <laughs> it'll probably be like june or july but you know that's the thought it's the thought that counts yeah he really hasn't been drinking much at all for i don't know half a year at least like he pretty much was doing dry last half of 2020 except if you like he'd have a drink here and there um (laughs) i was i was the drunk all year um and so yeah i i that like not drinking and going to the gym again and paying attention to what I eat has been I feel a lot better I mean there are other things too 
just various like environmental <laughs> or like <laughs> ethereal things too that uh I think have added to my well-being. So yeah, I so like again, I I don't want to do the thing where when I can drink again, I just go back into the same pattern. I um one of our friends, um, Andy posted something uh a month or two ago. I don't know. Still I'm not sure how long ago, but about like when the pandemic started in like their home and she had um like had a thought in her head to like get a drink and then she thought again she's like no my my rule is only drink when celebrating and not to cope but when you're celebrating and um so she like that helped her through the pandemic because she didn't get into that habit because she comes from family that that is an issue for them so she knew the patterns that she could go down if she didn't keep to that rule and I like that rule I think that that's something that I I could take on and again like you said like there's something like you can celebrate Tuesday but like don't make it a like if you get home from work if I I guess to say talking to myself like if I get home from work and it's been a stressful day don't have a drink but maybe do some yoga yep <laughs> Or meditation or something. I had been so proud of myself because I'm like, you know what? We've had the same like 12 bottles of wine in, our, in the house for the last six months. Mm-hmm. We really haven't touched it. I haven't opened like any new bottles of, of any of the spirits that we have. Yeah. Like I rearranged stuff and then I got on the scale and I went, that's what I did. I ate my way through ate the instead. pandemic. Yeah, I did both. <laughs> so yeah. And again, like I said, a few weeks ago like if you survived you survived Mm -hmm. and whatever you had to do to survive that's fine i just i just made a note in my february to do's for the month uh restart yoga routine so yeah so you heard it here first folks keep my ass accountable (laughs) nice yeah i started the um breath yoga journey yoga with adrian but we were already going to the gym too and then just like i was getting behind just in life and so i didn't feel like i needed the yoga because i was already going to the gym i was already walking the dog for like one to two miles every day um and it was enough and it got to the point where like i enjoyed it while i was doing it but it also felt like i was i had to do it like mm-hmm. i was obligated obligated yes um and that's not joyful nope <laughs> so i'm doing yoga when i can but i'm i don't feel guilty about it because i am i have i'm doing activity like it's not like i'm not and i'm doing yeah. activity that i do like doing and i want to continue doing at some point it may add back in yoga just to stay flexible or that get flexible <laughs> <laughs> get flexible again I've been having really bad lower back pain and neck pain. And I'm like, I know exactly why. Yeah. And yoga yeah. will help me with that. Plus yeah. anxiety and some other things. And right. it will give me that moment of Zen in the morning. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Namaste, motherfucker. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Because yeah. my my goal by the end of 2021 is to start running again. And there's so much mm-hmm. I have to do before I can healthfully yeah. get to that point. Like it's my wellness is not where it needs to be for me to start running again. Yeah. At all. I get that. 
that's been something that I've been wanting to get back into also. But I tried to continue running last year and it didn't work. So there's there's 60 pounds I at least I have to take off of my body. Mm-hmm. Plus I have to be men- slightly more mentally aware mm-hmm. and I need to be more flexible. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like my Achilles are so tight and my hamstrings are so tight. And I'm like, something's going to snap if I start running again. Yeah. 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 And I do not want to be that runner. Right. I've already yeah. had a couple of stress fractures. So I really don't want to put on a, a torn Achilles tendon on that one too. Oh, for real. Yeah. It's not worth doing that. Do we want to do a fangirl or should we just get into the Let, movie now that I, we've been I talking like, for 15 minutes? I feel like that was its own fan. Okay. Yeah, that works. Like, unless you had something big. I don't have anything that can't wait until next week. All right. Let's wait till next week. Okay. So our movie for February is... One Night in Miami. It is a fictionalized account of a night. I get. Did this? Did they get together, or was no. it just that? Okay, this is this is completely fictionalized. Do we know if they all did know each yes, other? They okay. did all know each other. Okay. There are some things that were um, exaggerated, or some things that were fictionally created. Mm-hmm. It was based on a stage play. Oh, okay. Okay. And if you pay attention to the cinematography, it still has a lot of the stage play feel to it, Mm -hmm. which I enjoyed quite a bit. So it is a fictionalized account of a meeting. I mean, like... Get together. A get together of four friends, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay at the time, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. And like, I, I didn't know uh jim brown before and bruce is like oh yeah yeah he's the best football player I'm like i mean well again i'm okay with football <laughs> but i'm not a like i know everything about football kind of person so yeah so they it the movie so that night that was chosen was the night that cassius clay muhammad ali beat sunny liston sunny liston yeah and so they're together and hashing out friend things (laughs) and social justice and racial justice and -hmm. And how each one of them sees their role in the social justice and civil rights movement in uh, mid 1960s u.s uh it takes place approximately based on life events about february of 1964 because it had to take place before december of 64 because that's when uh, sam cook died Uh uh-huh yeah, and then Malcolm X died in, I believe, February of 65. Mm-hmm. So I was talking, I guess last week we were talking about this, about um, how, or I guess it was just you and me. It wasn't when, it wasn't on the podcast, but um, when we were talking about this movie and how I love um, Aldous Hodge, still do, but also <laughs> like I'm watching the movie, I'm like, but Leslie Odom Jr. though, but but yeah he was the reason i was super excited about <laughs> uh-huh. uh, about this one he yeah. was such a phenomenal choice to play sam cook oh yeah absolutely i watched this with my mom this morning and mm-hmm. I, I made the remark that it was so nice to see a musician cast in the role of a musician yeah exactly yeah because not only i mean i'm sure he was the one singing the the sam cook parts yeah the sam cook parts but also because he's a musician and because he is a live performer, mm-hmm. he knew how to 
embody mm-hmm. a musician, a live performing musician, and someone who is who was a big presence. Um, yeah. And I know they make the point that he's far more subdued than most uh, black male musicians mm-hmm. of that time period, but he still had quite a presence on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his suit was on point. Right? Yeah, definitely. The uh, costuming in this was, and set dressing. I, I'm obsessed with mid-century modern America. Mm-hmm. And I was obsessed from the opening scene of the motel. Mm-hmm. Because it was the most beautiful embodiment of mid-century travel culture, mm-hmm. which is a huge piece of my geekdom. And just the way that they recreated the entire thing was just a thing of beauty the colors yeah. the textures everything was so good so that's where i nerd out yeah <laughs> i don't oh, nerd definitely. out about normal stuff <laughs> like that um, set dressing was beautiful yes <laughs> my my friend dana would talk with you about mid-century decorating forever she loves it too so yes and she did costuming for the musicals that she's a high school teacher and she did costuming for their musicals for quite a while. And so, yeah, definitely. Okay. And so one of the things that hit me about this movie, and it was like, I mean, it's kind of toward the end that it was the thing where I realized what they'd done in the beginning of the movie. So like they set up each one of their stories in the um, beginning. So you see one and then, go with him for a little bit and then you switch over to another one of the guys and go with him for a little bit and though they were each black american men in the 60s and all well known for i mean they were all celebrities of some type and some for athleticism some for musical ability some for activism i mean and any variation thereof too because I mean, no one person is just one thing, but as individuals and having their individual experiences, they all saw their role in the U.S. and their role in the civil rights struggle differently. And I think it illustrated well how everyone is needed Mm -hmm. in social change struggles. Like, not everyone is going to be a Malcolm X. Not everyone is going to be a Muhammad Ali. Not everyone is going to be a Sam Cooke and not everyone's going to be a Jim Brown, but they all have an important part in the movement. And the one thing this movie did for me is it made me realize how little of the civil rights movement were actually taught in school. Yeah, yeah. Because- my mom and I were talking about Malcolm X. My mom, my mom graduated from high school in 64. So this was like the heart of like her years of activism. Yeah. And talking about, you know, there was such a divide in the community between those who followed Dr. King and those who followed Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. And growing up, we were taught that Malcolm X was, was the bad kind of black activist right but the more i learn about him and like the more history seems to be repeating itself i'm thinking Mm -hmm. we need more malcolm x in this world like we we still need our dr kings absolutely Mm -hmm. but we definitely need that voice that isn't afraid to say let's get dirty right and let's do the thing that needs to get done Mm -hmm. by any means possible yeah i kind of went on a deep dive looking up stuff about malcolm x because i realized you know i never i've never seen the denzel washington movie 
I haven't either. And Bruce, so Bruce and I were watching um, this movie last night. Well, he didn't catch the beginning of it, but um, we, he caught about midway through or maybe a third of the way through. But he has seen the Denzel Washington movie. And he's also seen Ali with... Uh, I don't think I've seen that one either, to be honest. Yeah, with, with that Will was Will Smith. Smith. Yeah. Anyway, so you haven't seen Malcolm X movie. It made me realize there's, if I want to be an appropriate ally, mm-hmm. there's more history that I need to learn. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brought me back to, it's and it's a book that I had fangirled about last summer probably and i'm blanking on the title off the top of my head but it's about black historical figures written by black history writers oh yeah okay um when i think of the name of it i'll post it because it's gonna bug me that i can't remember the name of it we'll put it in the hopefully we'll remember put it in the description (laughs) when we post it (laughs) but it's it's definitely one of those books that i and i have it on audio that it's important to listen to because it reminds you that there is more than just the, you know, six names that were taught in our history books. Right. And there are bigger movements than, or smaller movements than the big couple that we, we learn about in school. And that mm-hmm. the ones that are villainized that shouldn't have been villainized. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much complexity to the Black Panther movement mm-hmm. that I think gets missed in predominantly white male education right yeah that and also that dr king was not generally beloved in the country Mm -hmm. even though that's really the story that kids get now in school or at least i did when i was in school and i did as well yeah it's like there is like demonization of some and sanctifying of others i guess (laughs) and like i think that's something that i really started realizing a few years ago as i was waking up from the stupor of evangelicalism (laughs) uh white evangelicalism and then you know seeing the post of black activists and saying like if you're quoting martin Mm -hmm. luther king but like not quoting like quoting only specific quotes the peaceful quotes versus the quotes where he spoke out against capitalism and uh, right in the prison system and other injustices yeah yeah it's like yeah you want to quote i have a dream speech but have you read letter from a birmingham jail Mm -hmm. (laughs) like uh bernice king was on fire the last mm-hmm. three weeks yeah so uh if you want to deep dive into that go check her out on twitter yeah she is uh, dr king's daughter is there something that you want to highlight about the movie i think for me one of the most interesting things was listening to the dichotomy between the four humans right and how they perceived themselves versus how how forceful Malcolm X was. And again, this is all fictionalized. Mm-hmm. There, and there's a couple of things that I'd like to do a deep dive on and see if they actually stemmed from real events. Because mm-hmm. the thing with Sam Cooke and Bob Dylan's blowing in the wind, like that entire oh, scene yeah. was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that Doctor or that Malcolm X, about halfway through the movie, he pulls out a 45. Uh, for you young kids, this is a 45 RPM record. It goes round <laughs> and round and it has grooves and plays music. I wonder if the, if, <laughs> well, one, I wonder how many <laughs> young ones listen to us. Um, and two, I wonder if the 
Gen Z or whatever the high school and 20 year olds now are called <laughs> uh, if they because there was a big revival of vinyl. of records of vinyl yeah so I wonder if that carried over to them or not I don't know most of the people I know that are super into vinyl are in their 40s yeah I was gonna say it's because like... <laughs> we you and I have a couple of mutual friends who are super into vinyl yeah it's <laughs> young Xers and the older millennials I know <laughs> and let's preface this it is mostly white males well it's yes <laughs> but they are in the like white males in the like 35 to 45 right now probably <laughs> I love yeah. you guys I do, but <laughs> you, you got a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, Malcolm X pulls out a 45 of uh, Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind and plays it for the group and basically uses it as an example as a white boy from white Minnesota wrote a better song about racial justice in the civil rights movement. He wrote it for the Vietnam War, but they use it in terms of as a call to action on their part than any black writer uh, songwriter that they knew of Mm -hmm. and there's a point where Malcolm X is just picking at Sam Cooke over this Mm -hmm. because he feels like Sam Cooke is not using his celebrity well enough to further Mm -hmm. their cause whereas and this is where it takes all parties Mm -hmm. and Sam Cooke like he already feels bad enough that he he couldn't or didn't feel like he was able to write a song like that, that was good enough to speak to the whole cause, but that he actually had written a song. He just was too afraid to perform it because it was different than what the white audience expected from him. Mm -hmm. And I know there was a, there's a lot of criticism even now of black artists pandering to white audiences because they're the Mm -hmm. ones who pay the bills But I think that if you get your message across, regardless of racial lines, you're making a difference. And again, Mm -hmm. that's me speaking from my super white privileged platform here. But I, and and I can see, I could see both sides of it. I can empathize with both sides of it. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it went to show too, that not all of us can be Malcolm X. Right. Yeah. And nor should we. It, um, yeah, like we all have we all have our part to play like even muhammad ali wasn't malcolm x Mm -hmm. i think at one point he thought he wanted to be Mm -hmm. and then realized what it what it was really about and he wasn't ready to give up parts of his celebrity that he enjoyed yeah and you know on this side of the story i mean this side of their lifetimes i realize jim brown is the only one who's still alive now mm-hmm. as we were recording at least as of last night when i checked <laughs> um as, as of january 26th like, <laughs> right i believe he's 86 now uh so my god anyway and like within a year of when this movie was set like you said sam cook was killed and then mm-hmm. Muhammad, or and then then Malcolm Elks was killed. But I think Muhammad Ali, I think he found his niche in mm-hmm. the activism because like, yeah, you said he didn't want to give up some the some of the parts of his celebrity, the things that like the privileges that he got from that. And I guess like someone in his time could criticize him for that. But on this side of the story, if he had, I don't know if he would have the impact that he did because mm-hmm. I think Bruce said like maybe it was just a few years later 
when he did he go to jail for for refusing the draft uh-huh. and he but i don't I'm know not if he jail sure. or not but he did get he he got booted out of boxing though he wasn't allowed to box for i think four years bruce said because of that and like and like he refused the draft because he was a muslim and it went and he didn't i think it was because like because he was muslim and it he didn't feel like he could fight for a country that was um okay I am like rewriting history here, but (laughs) (laughs) it was either because he didn't feel like he could fight for a country that um, was oppressing black Americans, or it was because he was Muslim and it went against religion. Either way, he still got persecuted for it by the boxing establishment. And then he came back after he was allowed to be back in boxing again after like a four year hiatus and was dominant again. (laughs) And, um, yeah okay. Here, I... okay here it is okay cool in 66 ali refused to be drafted into the military citing religious beliefs and ethical opposition to the vietnam war he was cool. found guilty of draft evasion he faced five years in prison and was stripped of his boxing titles he stayed mm-hmm. out of prison as he appealed the decision to the supreme court which overturned his conviction in 1971 so it took six years so it took the yeah. or five years. It took five years, yeah. uh, and he had not fought for f- nearly four years and lost a period of peak performance as an athlete. Yeah, because so that was in sixty five, sixty six, sixty six. So he would have been twenty four mm-hmm. when that happened. Because like the movie set in sixty four, and he at one point does say he's twenty two. And I also checked in. Yes, yes, that is accurate. Um, so he was twenty four to twenty nine when he was mm-hmm. not allowed to box so like yeah definitely peak time but i think that him being himself was what made his voice so powerful Mm -hmm. and he he stood for what he believed in and he did end up following malcolm x's footsteps in rejecting um nation of islam and moving to sunni islam Mm -hmm. because they didn't like the way that elijah muhammad i think so leader of nation of islam at the time the direction he was taking and it at one point in the film Malcolm X says something that's really poignant because he talks about uh, Elijah Muhammad being on the ritzier part of uh, the south side of Chicago in the black neighborhoods where he overlooked the sins of his congregants but demonized the same behaviors in white culture Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that led to Malcolm X not wanting to be a part of the nation of islam anymore because he felt like they did not adhere to their own tenets right which was it was something i did not know but i'm also less familiar than i probably should be about both nation of islam and sunni islam mm-hmm. because we're taught it's all one thing and they're all bad <laughs> right <laughs> i'm paraphrasing here but that's that's pretty much the upbringing right. i had yeah 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 it, it along that line too i believe it was it was sam cook who brought up that he grew up on the south side of chicago and he saw or maybe he was he was the one who made that point it wasn't yeah he was the one he's like everyone knows elijah muhammad's house it's like the best one there it's the city on a hill yeah for lack of a evangelical metaphor right this movie highlighted how each one of them has their flaws as well as their virtues they were all complex mm-hmm. people and jim brown like he he had wide appeal with the 
white football watchers. Which gave him that big opening into becoming an actor. Mm-hmm. I do. I did appreciate, um, for its sense of irony, the thing that Cassius Clay says to him about, you know, how could you accept a movie role where you know you're going to be the black guy who dies mm-hmm. or the dis- the disposable black ca- uh, lead character. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, it's a job. <laughs> I need to. I'm going to see how much money that." He's like, they paid me $37,000. Which? So, which, let's see here. Okay, so 1964 to 2021. So they paid him what would be the equivalent of about Mm $311,000. He's like, you know, it's a job. And also, I think he... I think he realized that, you know, he can only be a football player for a certain Mm -hmm. amount of time. Like, it's hard on your body. Like, you can't do that forever. He's like, so, you know? Gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's like, Sam Cooke was in a situation where he's like, well, I have this talent, and I gotta do what I've gotta do to take care of myself and my family. And also, maybe I can make some inroads and jim brown's like you know i've got this like the celebrity that i'm going to do what i can with it you know i like i'm gonna take care of myself and i'm gonna do what's best for me and maybe some point i can make some inroads and yeah and malcolm's just like he he wants to change things now Mm -hmm. he wants everything to change now and it's like, I get that. I understand that feeling. And I think that was that was the substantial difference between him and Dr. King. Yeah. I think Dr. King knew it was going to be a long uphill road. Right. Yeah. He wanted sustainable change, I think, and knew that that is a long uphill road. Because the struggle wasn't new then. No. <laughs> no. It's not new now, and it's still happening. So I think he maybe he was a bit of a realist in that he mm-hmm. knew that, you know... There's just a lot of work to be done. And I think Malcolm X, he grew up angry, which is completely understandable based on what happened to his father. His father was a Baptist lay preacher who ended up on the wrong side of some pretty nasty KKK groups. Mm. And he was murdered, but they treated it as an accidental death and then a suicide. He was was killed on a streetcar when Malcolm X was quite young. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, like, he understandably, he was angry. Yeah. And he wanted a life for his kids that didn't mimic the life he had. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, they didn't get that. Yeah. He mimicked a life that he had. Yeah. Yeah. But what I found interesting was uh, Malcolm X was, I I was always taught that he was killed by white supremacists. Mm -hmm. He was not. He was killed by other members of the Nation of Islam. Mm. So. Yeah. So it tells you even the white revisionist history is like, no, it was the KKK. KKK is bad and they murdered him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, yes, KKK bad, but you don't have to pin everything on Mm -hmm. them that is bad. (laughs) Like, we still need to know the truth. (laughs) Like, they have enough that they do that, like, we don't have to pile on Mm -hmm. because it's already bad. But I mean, it just, it went to show that he was so paranoid about knowing he was targeted by Hoover Mm -hmm. and the FBI and Mm -hmm. other like white nationalist groups. Mm -hmm. But he was also paranoid about other members of his own religious faith. 
Right. Well, yeah. When you critique He is an outspoken power. critic on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was not content to be an oppressor mm-hmm. just because he had been oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so when those he's aligning with are becoming oppressors, then he's like going to critique that too. It was very much um, reminiscent of Animal Farm to me, ah, uh, which uh-huh. I have read a bajillion times and mm-hmm. appreciate. If I have to choose between that and 1984, I will choose Animal Farm every time. Mm-hmm. But it's it's exactly the point you get, they get to when Snowball moves into the farmer's house Mm-hmm. When they they initially had decided that you know no no farm animals should have human comforts you know four legs good two legs bad and then suddenly snowballs moved into the house and walking on two legs but it's mm-hmm. okay for him but not for anybody else because right. he's just he's making sure that he knows what it's like so he can talk about it and talk out speak out against it right yeah but we all yeah, know what's happening definitely yeah for anyone who hasn't read animal farm read it mm-hmm. it's a good piece of literature it's a quick, quick read it is i read it a few years ago and when i say few i think it's been like eight <laughs> uh, but i read it twice in high school and i've probably read it three times in the last 20 years yeah i've read 1984 a few times i really like it I read that in high school. It took me 25 years to read 1984 from cover to cover because I'd have to stop and put it down and walk away from it. Mm, yeah. And yeah. I had to do the same thing with Fahrenheit 451. I finally finished that one last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I read that one, I think, in like middle school. Um, but yeah. I went to a private Christian middle school. Yeah. We didn't read things like Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, no, I, it was all public school for me until college. We did read The Hobbit though. Yeah. Which I hated. I think that if I read it now as, no, if I read it now as an adult, I'd probably like it a lot more because I'm discovering there are genres of books that I was forced to read in school that I hated, but Mm -hmm. I'm now slowly starting to regain my appreciation for. Yeah. Yeah. But also I have a firm, I have firmly decided that evangelical Christianity ruined fantasy fiction for me as a young person, because we were told C.S. Lewis, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series was like the only fantasy books that we were allowed to read. And I thought they were awful. Mm. And I'm like, well, if this is what fantasy books are all about, these are really bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I liked them, but that's just one tiny subset of yep. fantasy. <laughs> yeah. So getting back to the movie. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if I caught all of the context of this, but I know that Ali, Cook, and Brown were all like, they're getting together. They're like, we're going to celebrate mm-hmm. Cash's win and like have a great time, have a party. And at this point, like Cash's Clay was not, uh, he hadn't joined the Nation of Islam yet. He'd been talking with Malcolm X, but so he was still a uh, young and free. <laughs> 22 year old man um and so jim and sam were like yeah we're gonna party and then malcolm's like <laughs> here's some ice malcolm cream is malcolm. <laughs> i just like he pulls out the borden's ice cream and he's like hey guys i got ice cream <laughs> ice cream yeah and it was i think sam's like you have any beer in there oh sorry bad question i guess yeah it's like do you have any chips at least <laughs> like just ice cream okay watching sam cook eat ice cream out of the t- the box carton yeah. The, yeah the rectangular carton of ice cream brought me so much joy <laughs> there's a quote that you sent me about this like at um some point i don't know who it was a, it was about it was malcolm x who said it yeah it's malcolm x who said it, but i don't know who it was who like 
who is saying it okay. in yeah. response to I think it was it was a global okay they were just all like really I, I think it was when they were all murmuring about not like wanting to go out and have a good time mm-hmm. I don't know why it struck me as just like the perfect quote mm-hmm. but it was just because I'm militant doesn't mean I don't know how to have a good time yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> okay well show us that <laughs> like, show us this good time <laughs> What does good time look like to you? <laughs> but, but I think by the end of the film, they they had hashed out some of the the confusion they had about each other. Yeah, which I liked. But let's let's talk about the power behind this movie for a second. It was directed by Regina King. Yes, who I have been in love with since she was on a Different World back in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I for yeah. Oh yeah, her and. Uh, Oh, what is his name? Kareem. Oh, well, it'll come to me later. Like when he uh, when he shows up and stuff, it just brings me it, like I love seeing them now. And Regina King is just an unbelievable powerhouse of talent mm-hmm. on all fronts. And to have a woman and a black woman direct a film like this with a black a black screenwriter playwright kadeem hardison thank you yeah sorry totally butchered that kadeem hardison because he popped up <laughs> in something i was watching not that long ago okay and i loved that i saw him he's like 40 pounds heavier and it took me a second to go oh yeah that's him and he well, still yeah. ha- he was wearing the sunglasses that you flip down just like he did on different <laughs> he's also not like 23 anymore yeah so. <laughs> i know we're all like 40 pounds heavier and slightly less recognizable yeah <laughs> some of us use that to our advantage anyway sorry i just <laughs> i interrupted you talking about regina king i appreciate that. that no i appreciate you looking that up for me because usually me. it's me no it's usually me that does that so yeah. and then um kemp powers and the reason i got interested in this movie in the first place was because of Kemp Powers Mm. because there was so much buzz over soul when it came out at Christmas Mm -hmm. that I don't leave crap alone and I start looking at who was behind the movie and so I was looking up who Kemp Powers was and then I saw the link to this movie and went holy crap this looks amazing Uh, but also that Kemp Powers was a writer in season one of Star Trek Discovery oh because I'm a friggin nerd Uh, (laughs) and I know and I read um, I think it was on IMDb because that's where I get most of my information that the confrontation between or the conflict between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke was completely fictional but it was his own internal struggle about how much of himself to put on the screen when Mm. writing for discovery because he was the only black writer okay yeah so i think that 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 itself brings so much depth to this that he was able to take a struggle that at the time was was in the forefront of everybody's mind that and really put his own spin on it sadly because it's still something happening today right because i know i've had i've read a lot of black television writers and screenwriters talk about how they're told constantly that their characters are too black or too latino or too (laughs) when they're just writing them to be a character of that ethnic background Mm -hmm. because really what's too black right yeah what's too latino that's white for we're really uncomfortable with having people of color in this Mm -hmm. so maybe we should just dial it back but we know we're supposed to for diversity so but but if you're going to be that latino maybe we should get rosie perez (laughs) and nothing is rosie perez no i love rosie perez i love her (laughs) 
but it's it's that general stereotype yeah and I know black writers have talked about this too that they've been bullied into writing stereotypes instead of authenticity into their characters Mm-hmm. which actually plays into what I want to talk about at some point about soul. Yeah, which our bonus episode this week for our $5 uh, patrons on patreon.com slash twisted sisters is uh, talking about the movie soul. So yeah, wrap up this movie. I think so. I think, I think it is a, a great movie from my, from my white perspective. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I'm going, I'm just going to wrap this up in that tidy little bow. From my white perspective, this was a yeah. really good movie. Yeah. Um, both story-wise, costuming, cinematography, set dressing, mm-hmm. and store like story. Mm-hmm. Like I I feel like I got I got a lot out of this, whether it was fictionalized or not. It it made me want to learn more about these people. Yeah. And more about people I less familiar with in the civil rights movements yeah i um if you listen to our podcast then i highly recommend this movie to you (laughs) um and again also same i can only come at it from a white woman's perspective um so obviously i don't i don't know how black activists or my black peers would see it but you know i'm love to hear um but i think it yeah i this story i think it's very well done definitely Mm -hmm. like you said the story um story was good it i don't know if resolution is the right way to say but it the story developed (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh well um and the performances were awesome i definitely plan on watching it again and especially since bruce didn't get to the beginning of it we'll watch it again (laughs) There is a video roundtable interview um, with the cast and with Regina King, and I'm not sure if Kemp Powers is part of that or not, Mm -hmm. but it is on my list of things to sit down and watch at some point soon, too, just to hear their perspectives on the creation of this film. Yeah. Also, it was snubbed by BAFTA, and it just goes to show that independent films and films with people of color at the helm are Mm -hmm. still not they are disproportionately disrecognized. Mm-hmm. So suck on that BAFTA. Right. Ooh, maybe that should be the title. No. <laughs> <laughs> suck on that BAFTA. <laughs> BAFTA. So, okay. Well, thanks for joining us this week, everyone. And we will be back next week. Um, Nicole, do you want to tell the people where they can find us? So few places. <laughs> so apparently it is. So few places sometimes. Um, you can find us at Twisted Sisters on Twitter. Sometimes. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Twisted Sisters, which we don't do a whole lot with our Facebook page. But, and here's the big but and the fun part, just a dollar gets you into the Twisted's Tavern when you support us on patreon.com. It allows us to stream fun movies like Baywatch or thought-provoking movies like, oh, what was the Justice Ginsburg movie we watched? On the basis of sex. Thank you. On the basis of sex or One Night in Miami or great feel-good films like Soul or Four Rooms and everything else that Bruce and I talked about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically yeah. you pay for part of our streaming services. You don't. Yeah. You pay for our hosting, but $1 gets you into the tavern where we can have all of these great discussions. You can help us choose topics. You can help us choose movies. For $5 or $2. 
two dollars you get the episode a day early see this is why i don't do this and and for five dollars you also get our bonus episode mostly every week and also periodically some fun twisted sister swag one of our $5 and up patrons sent me a picture of her and her Twisted Sister sticker that she got Yay. in the mail last week. So yeah. should probably ask her permission to put that on our Instagram. Oh, and you can find us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We're Twisted Sisters on Instagram. Awesome. Twisted Sisters is now part of the Wild Goose Goosecast Network, a network of faith-based podcasts discussing issues of inclusion and social justice. To learn more about the Wild Goose Festival, go to wildgoosefestival.org. Natalie Wells edited this episode. Our theme song was written by Michael Basinger and it was performed by Key and Nuts. The closing music was created and performed by Andy Moore and the transition music by Sean Ose. Our artwork was done by Cheyenne Davis of Shays Designed. You can contact her at davischeyenne.com to do your graphic design project. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Twisted Sisters and on Facebook as Twisted Sisters Podcast. And share the magic by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash twistedsisters.